Hello, my name is Adrian Goldberg and welcome to the Byline Times podcast. The Byline Times, it's what the papers don't say, what TV doesn't tell you and what radio doesn't report. This time making criminals of those fleeing war and persecution. New figures from the Home Office show that, contrary to the impression that you might get from certain newspapers and politicians, three quarters of asylum seekers to the UK have their claims accepted. They are genuine. Most of them arrive via small boats or other routes that aren't officially sanctioned. But here's the thing. Under the new Nationality and Borders Act passed in April, those who arrive by these irregular means could be sent to jail for up to four years. Others could be sent for processing. Remember, this is human beings we're talking about, to Rwanda, a country whose own approach to human rights has been widely criticised by groups such as Amnesty International and Human Rights Watch. Let's get a reaction to this now with Sonia Skeet. Sonia from Freedom From Torture. Sonia, hi. Uh, These new Home Office figures show, don't they, just how reliant migrants are on irregular routes into Britain. Yeah, precisely. And they also just expose the bevy of lies that the public was fed as the government was trying to push through Parliament the Nationality and Borders Act. We were told all along that the government was going to be uh, offering safe routes so that people didn't need to resort to dangerous crossings and the like. That's proving um, to have been um, a a distortion of the truth, to say the least, with the numbers of people that are coming over via resettlement programs, for example, at such low levels. And then secondly, of course, and perhaps much more politically, we were told the people who were coming over the channel were economic migrants and not genuine refugees. And these figures just blast that apart as the lie that all along that we said it was. The people who are coming are almost all of them being accepted as refugees. The top nationality uh, is Afghanistan. um, And 90% of them are being granted asylum for reasons that we well understand because of course, what they're fleeing over in Afghanistan. The whole world knows what's happening in that country. And what is the current situation then with those who would seek to leave Afghanistan? Perhaps they were interpreters for the British Army during the time when Britain was part of the Western forces there. What is their situation in terms of applying to the UK and coming via a legal sanctioned route? So it's a shameful situation, really, as many of the Afghan refugee leaders, like my colleague Sabir Zazai at the Scottish Refugee Council, um, have been saying. So the government was under enormous pressure after that botched withdrawal from Afghanistan to be making sure that there were safe routes for us to be evacuating through other means the people to whom we owed protection obligations. And those schemes um, have been uh, really controversial, including because the government wanted to count uh, people within the numbers who had already been here safe in in Britain. Um, And the resettlement programs are uh, just really kind of floundering. And the statistics released yesterday um, show that only eight Afghans were resettled under the normal resettlement routes in the first three months of this year. So the idea that there are these safe pathways that the government's created to help 
Afghans, including those with links to Britain, to get to safety here um, is, is a distortion of the truth, to say the least. And, of course, what that means is that those who are fleeing from torture and persecution at the hands of the Taliban, um, trying to reach safety here in Britain because of family links or otherwise, um, they're being forced into those boats. And that's what the statistics yesterday um, was revealing. Yeah, there have been reports suggesting that hundreds of Afghans who one way or another were associated with Britain's presence in Afghanistan are in hiding from the Taliban. And the figures suggest that if you want to get to the UK, if you want to escape the persecution of the Taliban, then the quickest, most effective way to do that would be to find your way to the channel, get on a boat and come to the UK. That will be a far more effective way of saving your life than waiting in Afghanistan and hoping. And I would say to that, what does the British public think of this? The public was absolutely appalled at the way that we turned our backs on the people of Afghanistan when the Taliban came back to power. All along, you know, we've been promised that there were these ways for people um, to be getting here and that Britain was going to make good on its obligations, and we are not. And, you know, we're celebrating or marking um, an anniversary today uh, on, this, on this count, and it's just shameful. And I, I, I think it's wonderful that we're talking about this today, Adrian, because I think the country needs to know um, that we are letting the Afghans down and that our government has been breaking our promises. And I think the good news is, um, you know, that the more that people protest about this and speak out, the more under pressure the government um, will be. And the, the sort of the sort of the, the, the added horror is that those who do take that path that you just laid out of taking their chances and making these dangerous routes across Europe and getting onto those boats when they arrive, they will be facing a risk of four years imprisonment or they will be at risk of being placed on these expulsion flights over to Rwanda. And I think the more noise that people make about this, not only for Afghans but for others, um, the more the more we will have um, the, the chance to derail um, these plans. And on the, the the Rwanda scheme, I mean, we are at Freedom from Torture, one of the organisations that is preparing to challenge this in court. And there are opportunities for people who want to stand up and be counted on this to be contributing to the crowd justice funder that we've um, put in place to allow this to be a sort of people powered, if you like, pushback in the courts against this terribly inhumane policy that this government has adopted. The government has said the UK has made one of the largest commitments to support Afghan refugees of any country and will resettle up to 20,000 Afghan women, children and others at risk. And they say the rise in dangerous channel crossings is unacceptable and they insist that the Nationality and Borders Act will crack down on what they describe as the evil people smuggling gangs who are abusing our immigration laws. How do you react to that? Well, just on the deterrent point, I mean, I would just, you know, put to viewers that the government's own impact assessment found no evidence that this was going to have a deterrent effect. The permanent secretary at the Home Office has, has said the same thing. 
everybody working on the ground in Calais with asylum seekers looking to make this crossing uh, is, is saying the same thing, that um, people who, and we know it from our work with survivors of torture at Freedom From Torture, that when you are running from your life, running for your life from something as horrific as the Taliban or from the risk of torture, you don't stop. You don't stop until you reach safety. You're not thinking about um, risk in the same way. You're just running on adrenaline. You just don't stop. You'll take any risk to get where you feel that you need to be in order to be safe. So I think that these claims that this scheme is going to be remarkably effective um, in deterring people um, need to be taken with a huge grain of salt. In terms of people arriving on small boats, this is rather than the overall number of asylum seekers in total, but specifically people coming on the boats, uh, Iranians were the second highest number after Afghans and then Iraqis. And of course, Britain had a role in creating the instability in Iraq, which is still problematic for many people. Quite. And the fourth country of of origin is, is Syria. So we're talking about Afghanistan, Iraq, Iran and Syria as being, you know, the countries that people who are on those boats, you know, where they're coming from. We work with survivors of torture from all of those countries. You know, we know very well um, why people are getting in those boats. And it's not because they're coming here to seek their riches in Britain. They're coming because they're fleeing from torture and persecution or in the case of Syria as well, war, Afghanistan as well. So, um, you know, these are the idea that which we were fed across the course of the passage of that bill, that these are people who um, are are rorting the system, um, not because they've got protection needs, but because, you know, they've got other reasons for coming here. I mean, it was just an almighty lie that the public was told. And I think the more scrutiny that we are um, exposing the government to on this front, um, um, the better. And the more we expose the reality of the stories of the people, I think the more opposition to these cruel plans will build. And that's what we're working to do at Freedom From Torture and as part of the huge Together With Refugees coalition. One of the battlefronts for Brexit, some people might say the most important battlefront, certainly in the eyes of many people who voted for Brexit, was the question of controlling immigration. This has not been widely publicised, but one of the consequences of Brexit is that Britain has been forced to allow more asylum seekers into the country because pre-Brexit, as I understand it, Britain could say, well, you arrived at another European country before in the UK. That was a safe country. We are entitled to to remove you to that country. Because Britain's no longer a member of the EU, it can't do that anymore. So it has to process, if that's the right word, people who arrive here in the UK. I mean, that's true, although the number of people who Britain was relocating to other parts of of Europe under that Dublin regime was actually very small um, in recent years. Um, But I think, you know, you're right that asylum claims are on the up, but immigration generally uh, is is up. And what's really interesting is that public opinion on immigration is is really shifting and liberalising in the most um, extraordinary way. It now no longer even counts as one of the top 10 issues um, that people identify as being the most pressing issues for our government to be dealing with um, as, as a country. So, 
it, it is really interesting, and the relationship of that to Brexit is one that many commentators are, are, are opining on and are researching, and it does feel that um, the kind of the cathartic effect of the, the Brexit outcome for those who had um, very deep concerns about immigration levels, you know, just means that Britain's attitude towards uh, immigrants of all sorts is just softening. And so that really begs a question then about why the government is continuing to ramp up um, a big focus on the channel and, you know, why it chose to expend so much political capital on this cruel bill rather than dealing with problems like the cost of living crisis. And I think there is a really clear answer to that that comes from the world of political strategy. It's, it's quite well known that they are being advised by a whole group of Australian political strategists who've been telling Boris Johnson for years and the Conservative Party that the pathway through to success in the next election is by demonising and whipping up uh, fears about uh, asylum seekers coming on boats to this country. They think that this is their surefire way to be returned to office at the next general election. And so what they're doing is they're trying to divide us and set people um, against each other in order to distract us from asking the questions they don't want us asking about their conduct as a government um, over the, the, the previous period, whether that's the pandemic response um, or many, many other sort of issues. So I think the only kind of way to meet that head on is to change the political weather and to increase the political costs for politicians that want to go down this path of trying to divide and rule in this way. And that's why building power amongst people who oppose these cruel policies is just so, so critical if we're going to put a stop to that. And that's what many of us are trying to do via uh, the Together with Refugees Coalition, the biggest pro-refugee rights coalition in British history. I mean, activism is the way through this so that they understand that this political game is going to backfire just in the way that it's backfired in Australia. And that might be something we want to talk about. Um, and, and to convince them that if they want to win the next election, they, they need to be focusing on the issues that really matter to people in this country. Yeah, I'm happy to discuss Australia and the fact that uh, a populist in the mould of Boris Johnson lost the election, a populist who was actually very close personally to Boris Johnson as well. And you've spoken about the, the liberalisation of attitudes in the UK towards immigration generally. Where do you think that's come from and what do you think the political fallout of that will be? I mean, it's, it's, it's a really interesting and actually it's, it's a critical question really, you know, for the next period. And I do think Brexit plays a role in it. I think that people who were very, very anxious about immigration levels before Brexit um, are feeling much less anxious about immigration levels now. We're all very conscious of extraordinary labour shortages as well, and I think that's playing, playing a role. But I also wonder whether this era of populist, authoritarian, strongmen politicians is kind of running its course in some of our democracies. We've had Trump, uh, you know, defeated in the last uh, election over in the United States, running on, on this sort of anti-migrant, uh, anti-refugee uh, platform. 
We've had the same result uh, just this last weekend over in Australia. Australia, in many ways, was the blueprint uh, for this, you know, dating back to the era of John Howard, who, um, you know, was advised by Lyndon Crosby to be running elections based on whipping up fear against uh, asylum seekers. And, of course, he is now, um, you know, very, very close to Boris Johnson, Lyndon Crosby, and, um, you know, we can see his fingerprints all over the government's handling of the channel crisis and the um, the fermenting of kind of anxiety um, around these relatively small numbers of people who are coming to Britain um, in this albeit dangerous way. And so the election result in Australia is fascinating, really, and I'm not sure whether you're aware of this, Adrian, but um, when the polls were really kind of tightening and in the kind of, um, you know, last 24 hours, Scott Morrison, the outgoing, the, the former now Prime Minister of Australia, Johnson tried to stunt again. So he, um, and there's a big inquiry now being launched into this because it was so improper, but he tried to uh, incite people uh, to vote for his party by um, releasing operational details about uh, uh, a boat that had been intercepted um, on its way to Australia and they started sending text messages to people in various um, contested seats saying, you know, vote for the Liberal Party if you want to secure the borders, and it failed. It failed. And Scott Morrison, who more than any other contemporary prime minister, uh, contemporary political figure in Australia, is um, identified and personifies Australia's version of the hostile environment towards asylum seekers, has been ejected from office. And I really hope that our leaders here in, in Britain are, are taking note of what's happened over in Australia. I also wonder if the Ukraine war has also refocused minds on migration and possibly the fact that the majority of migrants from Ukraine, those fleeing the terrors of Putin's aggression, are white Christian or appear to be so anyway to most people in this country. And given that we have a, a majority of white people in this country, maybe there's a, a more ready identification with migrants from Ukraine. Many Ukrainians can speak excellent English. I'm not suggesting for a moment, by the way, that their needs and their demands are any more legitimate than those of anybody else's who are fleeing migration, quite the opposite. But I wonder whether even amongst people who would perhaps normally have a, a more hard-hearted stance towards asylum seekers, have a sense of identification with Ukrainian refugees, and because of that, the government has introduced a, a slightly different scheme for allowing Ukrainians to settle in the UK than the conventional asylum system. But of course, once you say that we might have thousands of Ukrainians arriving and people say, well, that's a good thing because they're fleeing terror, they're fearing, they're fleeing war, they're fleeing aggression. It's very easy for people like you and people like me to say, yeah, they are. And we should be opening up our homes and our hearts and our country to this people. But there really is no difference between those people and the people fleeing terror in Afghan, Iraq, Syria, Iran, wherever. I would agree with that uh, wholeheartedly. Um, but I would also add that we mustn't forget the enormous outpouring of public compassion towards the Syrians after that Island Kurdi incident where the little boy, um, you know, washed up dead. Um, and it really spiked the conscience of this country. And that prompted David Cameron to announce the 20,000 strong Syrian resettlement program, Afghanistan as well, where we sort of opened this conversation 
you know, the public was really, really strongly in favour of Britain opening its doors to those uh, who needed our protection. And think about Hong Kong as well. I mean, we've got this new scheme. It's not really in the press very much, but we've welcomed, you know, a six-figure sum of Hong Kongers here to this country um, in recognition of the difficulties that they face um, over in, in Hong Kong. So I don't in any way want to downplay a point that you're making around um, race and the way that that plays out. And certainly many of the torture survivors who I have the pleasure of working with at Freedom From Torture um, began to feel very, very battered um, as the kind of Ukraine debate here took off and, and sort of, you know, at the same time as the government was using the Nationality and Borders Bill to dismantle the asylum system from everyone coming from the rest of the world, including sub-Saharan Africa and the, and, and the Middle East, who require protection. So there is a deep vein of racism that runs throughout government policy, and that's why, as you say, um, there have been these separate pathways to safety opened up here in Britain because the government didn't want to admit that at the same time as needing to respond to this public outpouring of sympathy for Ukrainians. They were ripping apart our asylum system. So there is a terrible racism that runs from top to bottom and left to right of our um, migration and asylum system in this country. But I think that the British public, actually, if you, if you, if you look at the, at the response to those various other situations that I described, um, is much more welcoming than this government gives us credit for. And the polling bears that out. There is an overwhelming majority of people in this country that in poll after poll after poll say they want Britain to have a welcoming attitude to those who need sanctuary here. We came in by discussing the situation, the plight of Afghans who, because Britain's scheme is not really fit for purpose in terms of the numbers of people that the government has pledged to help were simply nowhere near their targets, nowhere near their estimates, which of course is a driver for people to flee Afghanistan through irregular methods and come here on the boats. Those people, because they'll be coming through irregular routes, face a jail sentence of up to four years and that's where we started and that's where I want to end really that that is the reality if you're fleeing aggression and war in Ukraine you will be encouraged to move into the the home of a British person you'll be given a, a cash gift from the government and however imperfect that system is and I know how imperfect it is having done a radio documentary about it it, it, it chimes it seems to me with the generosity and the decency of the British people. If you are facing identical terror in Afghanistan and put your life at risk by crossing the channel in a boat, you risk going to jail or being sent to Rwanda. Adrian, like you've just put that perfectly. I mean, this is where we've reached as a country because, you know, of a political agenda on the part of this government to be whipping up fear and hysteria about refugees in order to distract us from this government's many policy failings. That is the net result, the cruelest piece of anti-refugee legislation in modern British history, now on the statute books because the government decided to squander all of that legislative time on doing that rather than legislating 
to fix the problems that people up and down this country are experiencing in their daily lives. This is what a politics of divide and conquer looks like. And as a populace, we have a moral obligation to be calling it out, resisting it, organising and mobilising against it. And we have, via the Together with Refugees Coalition, an opportunity for ordinary people in this country to get involved in that effort. And I welcome you all to join us um, on that. And, and if anyone wants to get involved in challenging this Rwanda scheme, come onto our website and found, find that crowdfunder and work with us to tear this that, that scheme down. It's not fitting for 21st century Britain. Sonia Skeets from Freedom for Torture. Thank you very much indeed. I'm Adrian Goldberg. You've been listening to the Byline Times podcast. And if you want to support free and fearless independent journalism, which is what the Byline Times does, then please consider as well taking out a subscription to the Byline Times. It's a brilliant monthly newspaper and it has exclusive content that you won't see anywhere else. It also helps to support Byline TV, the Byline Times podcast and Byline Radio, which you can follow at Byline Radio on Twitter. So do take out a subscription if you can to the Byline Times. Check out more details at bylinetimes.com. That's bylinetimes.com. Thanks very much indeed again, Sonia. We'll see you all again soon. Cheers now.